Testamentary trusts are confusing. You sent in a lot of questions about this very topic. So this episode will hopefully make things clearer. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 134 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Klaas for sponsoring this episode. We touched on testamentary trust in our first Q&A session in episode 126. But today we will look at testamentary trusts in more detail. You sent in a lot more questions which I put to Peter Bobbin of Argelois in Sydney and he kindly went through all your questions. Let's talk about testamentary trusts. Well, what is a testamentary trust? Well, <laughs> it's just a trust created testamentary. You see, we lawyers talk about intervivos trusts or testamentary trusts. Intervivos trusts, marvellous Latin phrase meaning during lifetime. It means a trust that's created during lifetime. Every family discretionary trust, every unit trust, every special purpose trust, every bare trust created during lifetime actually falls within this context of an inter vivos trust. So what's a testamentary trust? A testamentary trust is just a trust created testamentary. The way I describe it is that if the will contains the words which directs the executor to set up a trust, then what we have is a testamentary trust. You see, interestingly, it could be that the executor gives a direction, or rather I should say that the deceased, the willmaker, the testator, gives a direction to the executor to set up a trust. It could be a bare trust, it could be a simple trust, it could be a fixed trust. However, in today's modern world, it's most commonly a discretionary trust. All of them are testamentary. Why do I say all of them are testamentary? Because all of them came by way of a direction from that willmaker to the executor, whereby the executor was tasked with the process of setting up a testamentary trust, setting up a trust which is created on a testamentary basis. You know the phrase last will and testament, testament, testamentary trust. The essence of the concept of a testamentary trust in pure, proper legal terms, is just a trust, no matter what character of it may be, set up in a testamentary manner. So physically, how do you do that? And when does this testamentary trust come into existence? Well, it doesn't come into existence on death because there's no trust created. The testamentary trust, whatever that trust may be, and we'll talk about that in a moment, the testamentary trust only comes into an existence by way of the process of the executor administering that part of the estate whereby, under direction of the deceased, they cause a trust to be established. The day that the executor takes money out of residue or takes a specific gift as part of their executor process, the day that those funds or assets are applied to the trust that they're directed to create, that's the day 
the trust is created. So it's important. It's not the date of death. It's not the date of grant of probate. It's not some other date by reference to giving notice of administration of the estate. It's literally the day when the executor follows the terms expressed in the will and they then create the trust. There's a whole bunch of ways in which it's very useful to document that, depending upon what state that a person lives in. If it happens to be New South Wales, we at Argyle Lawyers, we use a technique whereby we have the Executives Express a Section 11 Trustee Act statement of administration, because not uncommonly it's the executor that may become the trustee of the testamentary trust, so that what we do is we have the executor declare that from this point forward they hold the assets, if that's the way the will is expressed, pursuant to the trust terms as expressed in the will. Or if it's being passed to a third person, we'll have the executor declare, by way of minutes of administration of the estate, that they are now applying the particular gift under will to that particular person they to hold on trust the terms of which expressed in the will. So again, when is the testamentary trust created? It's actually created when it's actually created. And when you think about it, that actually makes common sense because it's not until administration of the estate that we understand the size, length, breadth and character of the estate. If there's not enough assets in the estate in the terms of the will I express to enable this trust to in fact be established, though it refers to a testamentary trust, it'll never come into existence. What I advocate is take a bit of care with this process because you're establishing the beginning point for this trust, which, as many know, will last up to 80 years and more depending upon what part of Australia this trust and the law of this trust is expressed to be. So make an effort to help the future generations of people, professionals, individuals, beneficiaries, trustees that will be looking at it, so as to help them to be able to clearly define when this trust came into existence. Again, just to express, it's not the date of death, absolutely not the date of the will, certainly not the date of grant of probate. It's the day the trust was created. Now, the modern form of testamentary trust. When the phrase testamentary trust is used, what is the perception around that? Well, I can tell you what that is because this is my boast, I hope you'll accept it, I'm the one that actually coined the phrase testamentary trust. Back in the late 1980s, I'm the one that was espousing a new approach to modern estate planning and that is drafting wills so as to incorporate a testamentary trust, one that was not merely compliant with Division 6AA of the 1936 Income Tax Assessment Act, in particular Section 102AG, so one that's not merely compliant with the tax law rules, which gave rise to ordinary income tax to young kiddies, to minors, but one that also worked for superannuation, one that also worked for asset protection reasons, And, of course, one that also worked to achieve the objectives of the willmaker. In this modern world of estate planning, the testamentary trust is more than just a tax device. It's more than just an asset protection device. It's more than just enhancing potential defensive arguments against a family law claim. It's certainly all of that, but it's much more, because more often than not, once the 
willmaker understands what it is and how it is they can actually create these trust principles and rules, they are then very keen to, in fact, express their personal objectives and wishes using the benefits of the approach of a testamentary trust. It's a way in which I and many others can cause the wealth that I and my wife may have created during our lifetime to be kept within the Peter and Penny, Bob and family. It's the trust characteristics that do that. Now, what is one of those predominant characteristics as we know them today? The modern approach to modern estate planning uses the testamentary trust as a cornerstone and the character of that testamentary trust is that it's commonly of a discretionary nature. So it's a discretionary trust created on a testamentary basis. What's essential for it? Let's be clear. A will that's valid and a deceased person. And, of course, sufficient assets of that estate to populate the testamentary trust so that it comes into existence, in fact, over those assets that pass from that deceased person. If there's no will, can you create a testamentary trust? Broadly speaking, the answer is no. Most certainly, technically, the answer is no. If the objective here is to achieve a tax objective, some jurisdictions of Australia may allow a person to set up a Division 6AA or 102AG compliant trust. I refer to that as being a de facto testamentary trust, but various of the states, my own included, New South Wales, that is, no longer facilitates that. So the tax advantage that might have been available where there was no proper estate planning, where steps were then put into place to create a, what I call a de facto testamentary trust, certainly no longer valid or available in New South Wales. So what's really very effective or important, if we want to put some proper care, thought and direction into this, it's a good valid will. That invariably requires a bit of thought, thorough thought, about estate planning and what the person formally wants to achieve. Is there a trust deed? Well, no, but sort of yes. You see, when I create an ordinary family discretionary trust into Vivos, as I said earlier, we do that by way of a deed format. It's quite available for an executor to also do this by way of a deed format. Depending upon the character of the assets that go into that testamentary trust, there are some potential stamp duty concerns. What we do here at Argyle Lawyers, and to give you a bit of a clue as to one approach that may be taken, is to extract all the terms from the will so as to provide a document. It's not a trust deed, but it's a document that expresses the trust terms. Because in years to come, decades to come, when those beneficiaries, other professionals, trustees are dealing with this particular trust, um, somebody somewhere is going to ask, oh, show me the terms. Do you really want to be pulling out the probate and the will or do you just want to pull out the terms? A bit of effort in that beginning to help establish the bona fides and creation of what is most commonly discretionary testamentary trust, that is what I recommend is is the most appropriate way to go. Can you have an invalid testamentary trust? Look, I, I, in a 
a sense, yes. What are some examples? Well, if a will seeks to set up a testamentary trust, but there's not enough assets in the will to then carry through the direction to establish the trust, then you don't have a testamentary trust, even though there's a direction that one be established. Can a testamentary trust be found to fail for any other reason? Well, look, the answer is yes. If the will is found to be invalid or particular clause of the will is excised by the court for some valid reason, then again you'll find there'll be a failure of that testamentary trust to come into existence. Why establish a testamentary trust? Well, in many respects it turns on the perspective that you bring. Accountants, and I have an accounting degree and I used to start started off my professional career as an accountant, get somewhat excited by the tax efficiencies that these discretionary testamentary trusts can bring, including the ability to allocate income to young kiddies and enjoy ordinary rates of tax. Now, before some people cry out, isn't that tax minimisation, etc.? Well, look, the answer is yes, but don't forget someone had to die to get there. That's pretty extreme tax minimisation, I dare suggest. This is not a tax device, The tax law in this area simply recognises that people will leave wills whereby they leave financial benefits to young kiddies. And someone had to die to get there. It's not tax avoidance. It's not tax minimisation. It's merely recognising a normal incidence of a family whereby wealth may be left by a parent to the benefit of a child or children and Why discretionary? Because they don't want to leave fixed entitlements to these children and they want someone else to have some discretionary power to deal with the income for those children. And just because the children are underage, they shouldn't be penalised. When you actually have a look at Division 6AA and more particularly Section 102 AG, where these tax attributes of the so-called testamentary trust come from, you'll actually see that it's an anti provision to an anti-avoidance. I won't spend any time on that because I say that tax really should not be the reason as to why these things are established. I just identify them as a good outcome. We accountants, we we people that have a tax knowledge and, and an accounting bias, we get excited by these because of those tax outcomes that I've just mentioned. Others would get excited because the idea is I want to inherit or I want my son to get the benefit of the wealth that my wife and I may have created but I don't want it exposed to his possible breakdown on his future relationship. Others get excited because the creation of the testamentary trust instead of giving it to the child where it definitively becomes theirs and then it has no way of directly not falling out of a family law argument it goes into the form of the discretionary testamentary trust where the potential beneficiaries is not merely that child but that child's children and quite possibly on a contingent basis it could also be the other family members in the event, unfortunate event, for example, the child should die. It's most usual, as you might appreciate, that the parent wants the wealth to continue for the benefit of grandchildren and great-grandchildren, etc. It's the testamentary trust that's actually the only way to achieve that.
So family law can't touch the testamentary trust. Now, what the testamentary trust concept does in a family law context is facilitate defensive arguments. It's not perfect, but it's an awful lot better than putting the assets in the direct child's hands, where if it's owned by the child, it directly becomes an asset of the parties of the marriage subject to the family court. It's not perfect. It doesn't provide the 100% solution, but it certainly does provide some... Protection. ...arguments, um, some defence. It's better than having no defence at all. This defensive characteristic works, works certainly much better in a bankruptcy situation. Again, if I make the gift to my son... And sadly, at the time of probate, he already is bankrupt or sometime thereafter becomes a bankrupt, all of that wealth that I spent my life creating is now exposed and gets claimed by trustee in bankruptcy and applied to the creditors. is we adopt a discretionary testamentary trust. Again, those beneficiaries are the child, the children of the child, the grandchildren of the child, and then we're affording them stronger, stronger than family law that is, ability to have a defensive position so that the wealth that's been passed on from one generation to the next is in a protective device made available to that child but also then available to grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and moving on. So income tax, family law, protective arguments, bankruptcy protective arguments, these are all the fundamental reasons why professionals get excited about testamentary trust. But when it's made clear, this is my experience, when it's made clear to the willmaker these elements, but more particularly how it is that they can then design the value passing and how that value passes... I find that the actual clients then embrace the whole perspective of the testamentary trust. And they actually do take it on from a real, let's achieve my succession wishes perspective. And that is the most important value. That is what the target should be. Let's get into some practical elements now. Um, Who should be the testamentary trust trustee? Well, in practical terms, um, it, it most definitely can be an individual or, or more than one individual. But what we do is we often express in the wills that we create where it will be an individual or collection of individuals. When the person dies, probate is granted, we at Argyle often adopt the approach whereby we put a company in place. We don't express the company in terms of the will simply because we're avoiding the client going through the process of putting a company in place and holding onto it paying annual fees and so on, just to be ready to accept a testamentary trust. We identify individuals and then we'll often recommend to those individuals that it's often very administratively better and more secure to then put in place a corporate trustee. What sort of assets can go into a testamentary trust? Quite frankly, almost anything. Certainly cash, shares, real estate, intellectual property, 
patents, copyright, anything perceived to be of value over which the willmaker has very express and careful wishes that may extend over more than one generation in the life of more than one person, that's the sort of thing that can go into the testamentary trust. It need not be something of significant value or it need not be something that generates significant income. It's all to do with what is that willmaker's wishes over the particular item, particularly where that may extend over more than one generation. Can a husband and wife create testamentary trust? Of course they can. But here it's a matter of then just working that whole estate plan so as to create something that works co-jointly. For example, in terms of my wife and I, Penny, I might have a will that says, on my death, create testamentary trust. But if what I'm going to do is have a will and Penny's going to have a will which is somewhat identical... It seems a bit of a practical nuisance if each of our deaths creates separate testamentary trusts. So why not have a will that says, in the event of my death, if I am not survived by my wife and if her will has created a testamentary trust, I give the whole of my estate to that trust. What are we doing? We're making the wills work co-jointly. We're establishing the testamentary trusts that we've very likely jointly designed for the benefit of our surviving family and future generations, and we're avoiding the duplication, administration costs, etc. We're enabling a single trust to be created for the single purpose. Of course, there may be multiple trusts, one for each of the children, etc. Just make them work together. That's all that need to be done. So what about if Penny survives you, then later her estate goes into your testamentary trust? Yeah, correct. But then what about these new rules around Division 6AA? So when you then have distributions from Penny's estate's asset to minus, then I think Division 6AA no longer... Well, we don't have that legislation yet. Oh, okay. Because um, that was announced in the 2018 budget. So that hasn't come through yet. So no. at the moment, it's perfectly fine to contribute another estate into the testamentary trust that has already been established. If this ever came through then it might be a problem. We need to then look at the new legislation. Both of them will be testamentary gifts. So the issue will probably be if you contribute other assets to the testamentary trust, (laughs) but if both of them are testamentary gifts, then it might be okay. Perhaps we should have a look at some parting words on this testamentary trust. These parting words deriving from the budget announcement in 2018. Some of you would be acutely aware of the fact that in 2018, the federal government, the treasurer at the time, announced the probable amendments of Division 6AA. What was announced was that any after-gifted property would not gain the benefit of the Division 6AA ability to allocate income to young kiddies. Now, the way I read that, the government wasn't attacking testamentary trust per se. They're trying to attack the abuses of it. The idea is, with some people, they would cause the will to set up the testamentary trust, perhaps with $1,000, and then there'd be this gift of $9,999,000 into that trust. And the challenge is, well, 
what gets the benefit of this concessional income? Is it the whole 10 million because the trust is testamentary in nature or should it be the only the $1,000? That's the way I read the announcement in the 2018 budget, that it's only targeting that $1,000. So if we're looking at a situation where a husband and wife and the, the first to die, the trust is created, and on the second to die, the gift is made into that first testamentary trust. I don't know how the legislation will work because we don't, at this moment, in May 2019, we haven't really seen it. But I would like to think that the view of the government and the view of Treasury would be that these gifts were testamentary in nature. And whilst ever the gift is testamentary in nature, that's enough to enliven Division 6AA. Why? Because it's just an ordinary incidence of family estate planning. That's all it is. I hope that's been able to give you a few of my thoughts on the modern use of testamentary trusts, what they are, more relevantly from a practical perspective, how they're created, and some of the approaches you may want to consider for the benefit of clients. Thank you. Welcome back. So at the moment, nothing has changed yet regarding distribution to minors from testamentary trusts. Currently, minors are still accepted persons for the purposes of Division 6AA, even when the income comes from assets that were contributed later to the trusts. In the next episode, episode 135, Peter Bobman will talk about powers of attorney and enduring guardianship. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.